D, auntie, A-U-N-T, B-A-D, the bad auntie, 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 A-U-N-T, B-A-D. If you want my advice, don't take my advice, I can't promise. Hello, I'm Eloise. And I'm Eleanor. We are the co-writers of a new live sitcom chat show coming to theatres near you called Bad Aunts. I think that will help. B-A-D, auntie, A-U-N-T. The show follows three wonderful women in their 40s, 50s and 60s who all live together in suburban England as they host their friends and neighbours for riotous, riotous, that's right, living room antics. They're the bestest and baddest aunts for all your agonies. As part of our research for the show, and also as an excuse to get to know some incredible women, we are recording a series of conversations across the country over the coming months. With Mas, Joe and T, we're the bad aunties, bad aunts, hee-hee, bad aunts, bad aunts, hee-hee, bad aunts. And for our very first podcast, we have some really stand-out, stand-up. <sighs> See what you did there. Performers here with us to talk about their experiences in life as well as in the comedy industry. Ladies, please introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Charmian Hughes. I'm 62 and I've been a comedian since I got chucked out of advertising at the age of 27. Hi, I'm Pam Tilling. I'm 57. I've been doing stand-up for a couple of years and my comedy is more family-orientated rather than family-friendly. Um, hello, I'm Pauline Eyre, <clears throat> I'm 52, um, and I talk on stage about being married, middle-aged and menopausal. Brilliant. What a delight to have you all here today. Um, so, we are two women in our 20s, and what the effing blinders do we know? Not much. We know <laughs> nothing. Tell us, please, because we are desperate to know, what on earth is coming for us? Because we, we know that the entertainment media industry gives this incredibly accurate and shiningly faithful portrayal of women over 40. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yes. <clears throat> oh, don't start with me. I was just agreeing. <laughs> <laughs> I was just yeah, you going, yes, 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 yes. yes. like the church would um, what's, what's coming for you? Um, uh, mistakes and heartache and ultimately wisdom. There you go. Ultimately, because I've obviously reached the <laughs> ultimate in... <laughs> wisdom and maturity by the ripe old age of 52. Wow. <laughs> At what age do you think that that maturity and wisdom comes where you can sit there and be like, I, I know this, I've got this? Oh, that's interesting. I remember always thinking, oh, when I'm grown up, I'm not really a grown up, I'm not really a grown up, even though I had kids. And I remember, um, I remember it at my 40th birthday thinking, this is brilliant. This is, I'm supposed to feel like this is getting older and this is fantastic. I'm, life is good. And then I remember when I, I remember thinking, oh, I was, when I was 44, oh, I'm starting to feel old. So when I was 44, maybe I started to feel, notice things physically where I was ageing. But there's sort of been a gradual thing from late 30s to now of feeling more and more wise and on top of things a bit more. That's appealing. Not all the time, but as a general thing, I would say I feel much <clears throat> wiser and more confident to like talk on stage with some authority of who I am. Yeah, mm. strange. I don't feel like that. I don't feel you? that you'd never grow up. 
Uh, so you grow old, which I don't particularly enjoy, but I never feel I grow up. And I'm really aware of that when I'm standing next to um, younger comedians, because I think, please be my friend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, they know you're my mum. Mm. <laughs> and that's what yeah. I feel like. Um, I find the older I get, the less I care. And for me, that's been a really strong and powerful thing. Um, I just started to feel a bit physically, you know, like a bit, a bit creaky, where muscles sometimes don't always stay in a straight line when I'm sitting down. I have to kind of untangle them, unlock them <laughs> as I stand up. It's all a bit, bit wooden. But I feel that I've kind of transcended the embarrassment that I felt as being a young woman. I don't care. Um, I... I feel that I'm beyond all that. Um, and I feel no embarrassment. I feel no shame. Um, Is that on stage or off or both? It's both, actually. I feel like an elder statesman. Well, I don't feel I'm an elder statesman, but I imagine how, you know, like elder statesmen, they don't, they don't give a toss, do they? That they're farting old people. <laughs> <laughs> Their wisdom is of, va of value. Um, I don't know if it's valued as much in women, but I, I, don't, I don't care. And and I feel it's almost, especially, and I know that you know some of you might be doing the menopause, that's all years behind me, that's over. I can't even remember what it was like before that. And so I feel almost like I've got a prepubescent relationship with my own body, you know, before you have periods and stuff. Where actually you could climb a tree. Okay, I'm not going to climb a tree. But you, climb a tree. <laughs> you didn't care because you had nothing to lose. And I've got that same thing. I've got nothing to lose. Yeah, it's a, it's wow. a, yeah. I think it's an exciting time insofar as I feel that um, the age group in terms of the, the, the demographic is that we are, we are going to be the, the biggest age group. And I'm not necessarily sure it's it's catered for, and that's what interests me. And I think what I what I want to do is kind of be be part of of a, a woman uh, of of this age should be seen more, heard more, spoken to more, and taken account of more, mm. because there's going to be an awful lot more of of us. Exactly. Just in, mm. in just in terms of mm. of, of uh, lifestyle, really. Certainly, in the kind of comedic television spectrum, I mean, the only name that comes to mind immediately is someone like Sharon Horgan. Sharon oh, Hogan. fantastic! Mm. She's yep. brilliant. But and I think she's in her late forties. But I, I can't think of any <coughs> other names. Oh, there are in Jenny Eclair still going. That's yeah, strong. That's and Joe Brand. Great podcast. And but there's not a huge amount on the telly. And it's yeah. not in a sitcom. I mean, she did have a sitcom, but I think you're right in terms of the sitcom characters. Like in the mm. 70s and 80s, you had all those George and Mildred. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, good life. You're right. Good yeah. life. You had lots of older female characters. Mm. But actually, but it wasn't mm. just women, it was men as well. Middle aged people were seen as as sources of great comedy um, because that's they were seen as the grown-ups, whereas now it's it, it's very youth-centred anyway. Mm. And I think very, very old people as well. You, you know, uh, uh, the media often portrays them as, you know, just sort of, you know, r really on the way out in dodgery when, when in fact we've got to reclaim that. I don't want to be. I don't that that doesn't. I don't want that to be my narrative when I'm that age. Yeah. I want to be something. I want to see a completely different view of what old looks like as I do what middle aged looks like. Do you think in America, they've got much more of that idea? Well, the Frankie and Grace. Yeah, and ah. of just putting older people 
in normal situations as a source of comedy. So what's going what do you think's going wrong here? What's the difference between the way we perceive age and then the way that other cultures might? And how is that represented in in on TV? But even is it is is it the way that we perceive age or the way that like TV producers mm. perceive age? Mm. Yeah. That is a um and, and that's about market, mm. fashion, what sells. That's all that I think that's about marketing. Um, lots of older people might not watch the stuff that is being pushed. I think it's a strange one because I don't think that the the marketing's correct. Because I think on te- on terms of the normal, is it terrestrial television? Um, you, you know, children of my son's age, they don't watch that. They access their media completely different from me. Mm. But when I watch sort of comedy or panel shows, they're, you know, they're represented by sort of an awful lot of young blokes. And where where are the middle-aged females in that? And it's the middle-aged folk and the older people that are actually accessing that. Yeah, my, yeah. Son's of tw- my, my, my son at 25 doesn't access television the same way that I do. Mm. What kind of stuff does he watch on social on media when he's watching stuff? He, well, he'll watch all sorts of, you, you know, um, American stuff or, or just not necessarily BBC chats, you know, or, 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 or yeah. a BBC panel show. That just won't be what he's looking at. It's, it's so different from, I guess, there's a big watching divide in that you have lots of people who are just on Netflix now. A lot of young people don't even own a television, mm. so they're just not going to be accessing. I think you're completely right in that people are really actually missing a trick in this kind of youth-driven haze. So are there older people on Netflix? What kind of reception do you receive for your work and how much do you think your, I guess, your age is involved in that? Um, For me, I find I get a good reception, but I have to spend the first 30 seconds as I go on stage or the first thing I say or my first gesture is to make sure that audience know that I haven't kind of, I'm not a dinner lady that's wandered on <laughs> accidentally and that they're safe. I'm not going to try and get off with them. <laughs> and that they're sa- it's safe for them to laugh. And also it's safe for them not to laugh because the worst thing is if they, they, they think they've got to help you because, because they don't expect a middle-aged, later middle-aged person, woman, person to be on stage. So they have to help you by doing awful fake laughter or something. So you have to, I have to reassure them in the first seconds that everything's okay and just to relax for the ride. I'm not with any innuendo. Where... <laughs> yeah. I've, I've found um, the, the audience more because of the, the content that I talk about. They've been very sweet that, uh, that you know, that I'm, I'm not a normal mother and that's kind of what I want to get across because that's the reason I got into comedy was my children telling me that I'm not a normal mother. Mm. Mm. And do you think that, 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 you know, some of the young men in the audience, I always think that maybe they've got, they feel, there's a danger of them feeling censored because their mum is the person they don't want to be catching them doing stuff, like laughing at rude things or whatever. And and that the person, if if you are actually their mum on stage, Mm. that's kind of a dangerous thing to happen in their head they're very conflicted yeah i guess even that phrase right the idea that you bring someone back to your mother the mother as like the bastion of all that is good and wholesome and i thought that was interesting the way you say you kind of have to make people feel more comfortable and that they're Mm. almost scared when when you come on stage Um, like (laughs) (laughs) we can't you know we can't smoke now (laughs) 
That wasn't your fault. And I'm particularly interested in to how that translates across to something like heckling. If any of you found that you've got different kind of heckles um, from audience members than, say, if you were a man in your, in your mid-twenties. The highlights and the lowlights. I have to say, people who don't do comedy, it's always the first question. Mm. They are not, I'm not, mm. so it wasn't the first question you asked, but it's this idea of, and what about heckling? What about heckling? And it's so rare. Heckling is so rare. And, and most, of the, most of the situations where there's been somebody talking, they're not, you know, people don't know what heckling is. So I got heckled. I did the BBC New Competition, New Comedy Act, um, last year. And I walked into a, a massive, massive comedy club, 400 people, absolutely packed out. And it wasn't a normal comedy audience. It was a Radio 4 audience. So they were all... I just walked out thinking, hello, these are my people. The place was... Full. And as I was talking, a bunch of women in the front row were just, just loving all the menopause stuff and just talking back to me. Um, it was a big learning curve, of course, because, wow. you know... Being, knowing that it was going on the radio and ugh, it was horrid um, and that was really interesting that's not heckling but I came off thinking oh, God, you know that got really ruined for me because there were people talking back to me and I didn't know whether to take them on and chat with them or not because I was being very clearly timed and it was going mm. on the radio and would they be heard on the radio maybe should I should just ignore it and all that was going on in my head it's very rare that you have somebody just standing at the back shouting I've got a boner which did happen, but <laughs> um, but that's the only the only time I can ever say that somebody just shouted something out, and it was that. I mean, hey, I'm 52, and I still gave him a bonus, so you know, shouts out their personal tangents. It's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a bonus bonus. Um, uh, yeah, so I mean, that was just stupid. But but more likely, it's people who are a bit too drunk and need calming down a bit, or mm-hmm. it's heckling isn't as delicious a thing as it seems. Because I think sometimes you, I mean, if you if you Google comedians taking down a heckler. It, there are loads of brilliant examples, mm. and it's so rare that it's quite that easy it's rare and now. simple. It's rare Did now. It yeah, it, I think it used to be part of what people expected, mm-hmm. but also, again, it was they felt that the, you know there were younger comedians. I think that, I mean, would anybody dare heckle an older woman? I mean, because yeah, would so they? Well. I mean, they I, don't want I to go there. We wanted to know a bit more about as well for you. Um, how is comedy a tool to either provoke or, I guess, inspire a reaction? And, and what what do you try and create with your work? What's your kind of aim, if you have an aim? I think for one of the reasons I get in, I wanted to perform comedy is because the reason I love it is that it's the one place really, or or kind of art form, where you go and the purpose is to laugh. You know, it's not that you know you don't go to an art gallery for the purpose to laugh but you do go to a comedy club with the purpose is to laugh. And that is truly wonderful. And that's what I really enjoy. And that's what I want to do. I'm, I don't go to a comedy club to be challenged, to be uh, to, make, to make me necessarily think about things in a different way, or that, although that may happen. I just want to laugh. And I, hopefully I can, um, you, you know, talk about my view of the world and my crazy way that I live um, in my world and and put a funny spin on it. And if people find that funny, hooray, that's good. And that's about it, really. Mm, that's yeah. lovely. I have an agenda. I do have an agenda. I didn't set out to have that. but um, <clears throat> I, And I think one of the marvellous things about being older when I started was that I know who I am, I know where my politics is, and I know what I believe about the world. And so I've never said anything self-deprecating on stage. I never put myself down. I always put myself up. Um, 
I talk as I, I stand on stage as though I'm the most beautiful woman in the world and fabulous and you've all got to love me because I just am aren't I and I love that I, it's it's not always what's going on in my head it's never what's going on in my head but it's <clears throat> it's so I, I am very strongly um about body confidence and feminist and I never set out to be a feminist comic but the the good things I've written the things I think are good that I've written no the good things I've written are all feminist they're all feminists. They're always about um, about those topics. And then it's, it was never sort of intentional. And it's not necessarily the great big capital F on the beginning. Um, it's just what I find funny and what, what riles me up. And what riles me up tends to be what, what makes people laugh, I think. Yeah. But then I do some really old-fashioned just you know material about my husband as well and so that's quite an old-fashioned thing to do just uh, you know just talk about my relationship it's a rich store for laughs well, yeah. <laughs> yeah menopause is the comedy gift that keeps on giving as well um what about you Charlotte? Yeah. um i i love being on stage i feel it's like a, a communion between me and the audience i'm alive i'm visible um i'm able to speak about things that then the audience relate to them if they don't know about, you know, if they don't automatically connect to those things, hopefully I create a kind of world in which they can connect to them. And I feel that I'm just very alive and in the moment when I'm performing and we're all, like, having a little party in our heads. Yeah. And nothing... And gender, all that stuff goes out the window. We're just all on the same side. Uh, it's a night out. Just before I started, I went to I went to a comedy night and there was it was a horrific, a horrific car crash of an evening, of rape jokes and paedophile oh. jokes and nasty nasty stuff at women in the audience and it was just young cis straight white male after the other, and then at the end on came a comedian who talked about. Um, being, she was practicing stuff for her Edinburgh show, and she was talking about being sectioned, and she was talking about um, self harm, and and but in a funny way, and it was just, it blew my mind. And I spoke to her afterwards and said, how could, how can you have the strength to do that after everybody else has had such a different agenda, if you like, to have the strength to come on at the end? Didn't you just want to run away? And she said, no, that's why you must perform. Because I thought, God, if I was supposed to be on next, I don't think I could go on. And it made me realise it's like, no, you must go on after. You must. You're just a different voice. Just by being there. So uh, just yeah, as you were saying, yeah, Sean, uh, just just to, just by standing there and being visible, that's a political statement in itself. With small p. It's yeah. a statement in itself yeah. of I'm female, I'm older, and I'm here, and I'm confident, and sod you. And I'm a ghost. <laughs> Bad aunt, auntie, auntie, A-U-N-T, B-A-T I used to, you know, I, I spoke for a living, really, it was my job and, and to, to have that kind of knowing how to work a room and see a room but then when you've got that great big light in front of you it's a whole different thing you really have to just imagine that they're all laughing and loving you <laughs> What was your job? My job. Yeah. I used to. Um, well, I spent a long time just going into different companies, um, explaining and teaching about their occupational pension scheme. Now that Ooh. is a comedy dead end. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot oh, necessarily. I went into factories. I went into um, investment banks. I had to do the whole lot. Everywhere, all over mm. the country and abroad. Yeah, that was me. That is that is a really interesting kind of route. Into st how do you go from talking about pensions to stand up? 
If you can find me, be funny about pensions. They're funny, about, funny pensions. about anything. <laughs> well, I wasn't. Although I did write one joke in there, and uh, that was quite strange. What was it? Well, it was I was talking about investments and about investing money. So and funny. Saying, and yeah, you can see it's hilarious. Right? And saying <laughs> that you know you can put your money under the bed, or you, you know you can you can invest it with us, or you can put your money under the bed, or you could take it down to the um, the dog racing. <laughs> where you could lose everything or you could win a lot. Hey! Oh. I thought that was hilarious. Very I did. Good. That's I did. Good. That was my first joke I ever wrote. And that was, you know, like the um, tumbleweed. <laughs> and that factory in Leeds, they all looked at me going, hmm, yeah. <laughs> Don't give up the day job. So you did? I did. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, yeah. What's about your route into... Um, for me, it's just another it's just another freelance thing. I do loads of different freelance things. So I've been um, I retrained in my forties, went back to university, and became an antenatal teacher. And um, and my my antenatal teaching has become fun and funny because <laughs> there is loads to laugh about <laughs> um, in in birth and looking after new babies and the stress of all of that. Um, but it was just and it's a similar. It's quite a creative job in that we. Um, develop creative ways of teaching things so it's all you know it's, it's very much about active learning and not just sitting passively looking at a powerpoint um so that creativity was fed and also um yeah there's a, there's a joke that i've told every single antenatal course and as, whenever i'm doing it i always think i've done this this is the first probably the first joke i consciously wrote and i said sort of, but i didn't yeah it just i mean it, it yeah so what I'm, i teach nappy changing and <laughs> and i um and I'm always mentioning how the, they are the easiest people in the world to sell to new parents because they think, you know, if I buy everything, then it shows love for my child. Yeah. And, you know, I'm doing it right if I buy everything. And they're so marketed to and it's so wrong. And so when I'm teaching nappy changing, I have um, I have a little box of cotton wool buds um, and I, I teach it using a, a doll baby. And I always pick up the box and say, uh, you can buy one of these uh, at uh, Mother Care or Mama um, and it'll cost you eight ninety nine. This was three ninety nine. came with a free Chinese because it's a Chinese takeaway pot. There you go. <laughs> and I've told that wow. every single, <laughs> like probably 150 antenatal courses, more, um, and always gets a, you know, a hearty laugh from the room. It's like it fed that. So to me, yeah, going from... Adding comedy as well as a as a hobby initially, um, it was was just yeah, and that's straightforward. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I started doing it because I saw somebody like me, and I think that's so that's such an important thing, isn't it? They always say if you what is it if you see it, you can be it. But oh, this reflection thing is interesting mm. that you see the see it yeah. and be it. I'd n- I've never I'm, I've always enjoyed comedy, but I've never looked at male stand up comics and thought mm. I could do that. I just never saw it as a place for me. I didn't consciously see it as not a place for me. It just never never occurred to me. What so was the question? You're really into it. You got into no, you, you were clowning. Weren't you? Oh, yeah, I was clowning. Yeah, clowning. I, I worked in advertising um, because I wanted to be in a creative writing job, and I just couldn't. I sort of it was journalism. You had to do shorthand, which seemed a bit like maths. <laughs> so I. I got a job in advertising eventually and I thought I'd be in a creative environment and it would be the answer to all my yearnings. And it wasn't at all. And um, so I went down to the City Lit to do clowning classes, just not to be a clown, but just to meet other people because I felt very, very trapped in my, you know, my mid to late 20s. You know, when you think, oh, God, my life's over. 
I don't know what I'm doing because I'm so old. <laughs> so old. Yeah, and um, so I went down the city lit and I did, I ended up doing clowning and um, then I left my job and joined some other people in a little troupe. And then I then I saw my first stand-up comedian. Um, you know, I've seen working men's kind of comics on the telly, but I saw Jenny Lacote, um, mm. as you say, on a stage down at the drill hall holding everyone's attention for two hours. Nobody didn't have to do any juggling or stand on her head mm. or anything, the kind of things we were having to do in our troupe. And I just thought I'd really like to do that. B-A-T-R-T-A-U-N-T-B-A-T-R-T-A-U-N-T-B-A-T-R-T-A-U-N-T-B-A-T-R-T-A-U-N-T-B-A-T-R-T-A-U-N-T-B-A-T-R-T-